Hi, I'm Darren Wright. And I'm Tim Beadle. Welcome to Disciple Making. Welcome, friends, back to another edition podcast of Disciple Making. My friend Darren Ride and I, Tim Beadle, are uh, quite invested uh, in these weeks as we work through the book In the Way by Damian Gurkey, talking about church as we know it, how it can be a disciple making movement again. And uh, in a second, Darren's going to unpack uh, perhaps where we've been the last little while. Uh, but it's under the idea of what a church does. Uh, before we said who a church is. And, then, and there's a quote here that says, there is nothing worse than a sharp image of a fuzzy concept. I think it was Ansel Adams who said that. Nothing worse than a sharp image of a fuzzy concept. Uh, Darren, do you want to use that as a springboard to uh, take us into the next part of this book? Well, sure. I, I think that <laughs> that quote can apply to every piece that we're looking at. You know, when we talk about the larger question of what the church does, yeah, it, it can look pretty fuzzy to people because we do a little of this, a little of that, a little of this. And even I've been on denominational websites, I won't name any, where you look at their homepage and there's 20 different things they're doing. One of which might be disciple making or discipleship. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. You know, and, and it's this it's this shotgun approach that leads to fogginess. Yeah, exactly. And that's why having a mission and a vision is so important. However, every church, if you ask them, most churches will have a mission statement, maybe a vision statement. But if you actually uh, took those statements away and had an observer look at their church uh, ministry uh, for, say, a month, I wonder if they'd come up with the same vision and mission that they declare is theirs. Well, yeah, there's, there's fogginess all around. You know, Tim, one question I actually just suggested a friend use this question in a candidating interview. I, I've asked many boards this question. What do you want to preserve, avoid, and achieve? Wow. And I will often hand out three by five cards so they answer it individually so they don't just know one loud voice speaks and they all say yes. That very quickly shows what kind of alignment there is, especially, you know, what do you want to achieve? Yeah. Is there any overlap with this concept of the core mission of the church of making disciples. And sometimes uh, what we want to achieve might not uh, align with what you just said there in terms of uh, not only the, the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, but really seeing it come to life in the life of a church. Hmm. So uh, bring us up to speed and then let's dig into a couple more areas today. Sure. We're in uh, working our way through what the church does, which is chapter six in Damien's book. And we've talked about these are contrasts between disciple making movements and the legacy church. We talk about the ministry goal in a lot of churches. The goal is salvation in a disciple-making movement. It's making disciples. The primary method of doing this in legacy churches is teaching, where teaching has the highest, you know, the highest profile of anything at all. The Sunday morning teach is the focal point of the week. Versus in disciple-making, it's about training. And we talk, unpack quite a bit of that. Uh, I think it's worth listening to if people haven't heard it to catch yeah. the last episode. But now we're, we're getting down to some brass tacks here, Tim, because we're looking at the growth strategy. Yeah, And the contrast in a growth strategy between typical church and disciple-making movements is a hard one to adapt to because in most churches, it's about growing fast. Yep. And in disciple-making movements, it's about growing slow. So how do we how do we unpack that, Tim? What's, what does that look like? Why is there a contrast there? 
Well, you know, when Jesus said in Matthew, I will build my church, uh, he didn't tell us how quickly he would do that. <laughs> and at that time, there wasn't any organized church. There, there, there was the, the commencement of a movement. But unfortunately, I think uh, culture has really spoken in to the pace by which we uh, set our priorities. Hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. Like when you think of North American culture, uh, the rapid growth of everything, the pace of change, which is just unrelenting. Um, and we apply that to the church, that unless the church is growing, and again, we have to look at the metrics, usually it's numerically, uh, also financially, uh, then we would consider that it isn't actually growing. However, mm. as we spoke last week, uh, making uh, disciples is a lifestyle, and it takes a long time not to just make a disciple, but to come alongside. And I use that word make because that's a word Jesus used, Matthew 4, come, follow me, and I will make you into something. And then in, you know, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, uh, go into the world and make disciples. So uh, when we talk about making, that would, well, how long does it take to make a pizza, Darren? <laughs> you know, exactly. Uh, quantitatively, we think of, well, it should have happened by now. Hmm. Whereas qualitatively, I think that's more the uh, pathway that Jesus leads us up. He wants us to make disciples, not cookie cutters, but people who then can go and make other disciples who can make other disciples. Yeah, there's there's a few layers here. We're gonna definitely we're gonna definitely suss out. I think one to build on one thing you said is if one of our core values is fast, yeah. like fast results. Uh, numbers and everything else. And I'm, believe me, I'm all about metrics. I really am. <laughs> you know, oh, in the early church, yeah. they counted, you know, they counted the number of baptisms on Pentecost and they counted the number of men out a little while later. But if we, if our value is fast and it supersedes everything else, uh, we will do things to make things move faster at, at the expense of, like you said, quality. Yeah. It's sort of like forced growth. I always say, you know, uh, you have grandkids and you go and plant some seeds in the ground and they're there trying to dig them up the next day to see if the carrot has grown yet. But uh, if you, if you rush the harvest, you spoil the crop. Hmm. So let that sink in a little bit because forced growth, things happen naturally. And uh, you know, when it comes to someone and their uh, journey towards Jesus for salvation, being rooted in him and then growing up in him and understanding the bigger picture, the grand adventure, I call it, of actually one day leading someone else in the same journey, you simply cannot rush that. Hmm. No, absolutely not. Well, here's a here's a, an excellent quote from, from this chapter from Damien. It says, Jesus discipled 12 men, three of whom were apparently an inner circle, lived with them, it seems, 24-7, eventually lost one at the end, and spent three and a half years doing it. Exactly. Now, there's yeah. the definition of slow. How would that measure up in terms of today's expectations and even, uh, you know, perceptions placed upon pastors in terms of, well, we have to get this going. And uh, but when you look at Jesus' track record, I think that reflects more of, of the average experience of trying to find people who are even interested, getting them to follow Jesus in terms of wanting to go deeper. Some will fall away. Others will come just preoccupied. Some will give up. And that's basically the track record. And that was similar to how, how Jesus fared in his ministry years as well. Yeah. And I think really what makes the difference, Tim, is that when it comes to speed, 
in the short term, addition is faster. Yep. And then the long term multiplication Amazing. is yeah. faster and more effective. And I think there, you know, that multiplication versus addition is a big principle here. Jesus was trying to instill in these disciples, you know, the core, the core principles of the kingdom and, and who he was and his identity. And then, you know, empowered by the spirit that multiplied out. But they they were they were able to represent Jesus well because of that. Yeah, Jesus went slow, but he went deep. And he took time uh, to make sure, like like even when Jesus called his followers uh, to become fishers of men, he had he had hung out with them with all, for almost half of his ministry life, a year and a half before he called them, because he wanted to make sure that they sort of knew them relationally, personally, before he called them to a higher level. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, in the local church, you can hang around in a church all of your life, generations, mm-hmm. and never see the picture of something more than what we're currently experiencing. Oh, yeah. You know, there's in that book you you gave me some time ago, Tim, Contagious Disciple Making by Watson and Watson. Right. There's the story there of his, you know, his attempts to make disciples in in Asia, I believe, in India. And things weren't going well from a metric standpoint initially. And his missions organization, if I recall correctly, was thinking about maybe it's maybe you're not doing home. what you're supposed to do. <laughs> Come on home. But he, he managed to stay. And then all of a sudden, things just took off and became this massive movement because of the principles of multiplication. And, the, you know, at the front end, things seemed to go really slow compared to a big splash of a church plant, boom, 400 yeah. people, they seemed to go slow. But if true multiplication is happening, the math is ridiculous, actually. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, disciple making is not a, a microwave process. And so we have to embed that. Now, the challenge is that... that Traditionally, most pastors aren't in a church long enough to get this going. Mm. You know, when you look at the track record, I I don't know what it is recently. And with COVID, unfortunately, that's been brutal on some pastoral tenures. But the average pastor, you know, would sort of stick around for three to five years and then move on. During that time, it's very unlikely. And I don't say this to discourage our hearers, but to create a disciple-making culture in a church, Mm. uh, we have to really understand it, first of all. And then you have to live it before you can lead it. This is going to take years. This is going to take years. But like you said, if you don't start slow and Mm. look for multiplication, um, then we're just going to end up where we are. We're just going to go around the spiritual discipleship block year after year. Yeah, I think one thing, you know, I, I reflected a lot of my years of regular pastoral ministry. I think one thing that could actually help is if right out of the gate, we do what Jesus did. We've got the larger ministry, but we spend time with a few. Yeah, exactly. You know, as recognizing that we can't give give everything to everyone and not everyone's ready to go deep. But if there's a handful of people that we can spend time with and multiply through in that three to five years. Yeah. Things are happening even before, you know, in the small, smaller measure, even before on the large scale, it might seem to be happening. And I think there could be some, um, some pretty big spill-offs in three to five years going that way, spending time with a few strategically. Yeah. The, 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 the challenge is, is that right now, uh, many, if not most churches don't have any momentum moving forward in this regard. And, and without momentum, it's just like you're, you're pushing the big rock up the hill all the time. However, if you can, like you said, find a small group, a small cluster of people who understand the multiplication, disciple-making paradigm, the model, and, and you do that 
by not looking at other churches, but by looking at Jesus and his methodology. Uh, as you said, you know, he, he he started off with this many and somewhere that inner circle where he spent a lot more time with. Uh, so if we were to now, it's hard to do that when you're trying to lead a, a large congregation or even a small congregation where you kept running, sort of spinning the pay, uh, plates, as it were, uh, to keep everyone happy. So uh, how do we actually get to where we want to go by actually getting more results by slowing down? <laughs> Well, it's almost like you've got to do a skunk works, right? You, If you're yeah. in a pastoral role, you've got to do what the expectations are in the larger church while you're doing this. That's right. But I'd like to use that to spring to the next the next contrast thing because I think it fits in. And the key metric, the it's a contrast between the key metric. In a regular church, the key metric is attendees, attenders of the church, especially a Sunday morning attendee. In disciple making, it's about capable disciple makers. And so if your metric is attendees, that that does push you towards moving faster than you should. If your metric is capable disciple makers, and you can agree on that as a leadership level, what it takes to do that takes some time. And so in a way, you then have some license, I think, to spend some time. Uh, Talk talk about that contrast, attendees versus capable disciple makers. I know in my uh, church, we have people who are assigned to count people in the church on Sundays, the attenders. And we actually then we get a little email out uh, the next day telling us uh, what the figure was. And what we do is we look at that number and we compare it to the week before, sometimes the year before. And based on that, we say, well, we're getting bigger or we're getting smaller, which has nothing to do with disciple makers. Mm-hmm. Like you think of the, the ministry of Jesus. He had some tough sayings and people started leaving him because they didn't like um, what he was telling them and the cost of discipleship or disciple, uh, you know, following him. And he, and he turned to the disciples and said, are you going to lead me too? Hmm. And they said, no, like where else would we go? I think when people can get to the point at looking past the metrics, and you said earlier, uh, metrics are important. Like, man, they even counted the number of fish that came out of that net when Jesus <laughs> told them to put the net on the other side. So, so uh, have you ever known a church that counts disciple makers? Seriously. <laughs> awkward, mean, si- awkward silence. At this point. Awkward silence across the podcast universe there, Tim. You know, have I, I mean, I, I look at my life. No, I, I, we count converts. We count baptisms. Yeah. yeah. The theory being that maybe if we have a baptized believer, we've got a disciple. Yeah, that's right. But by yeah, the full you know. definition of a disciple makes disciples, boy, we really, we really don't count that. Yeah, I'm pushing back in these days that when, before someone is uh, baptized, which is an open identification with Jesus, you know, death to the old life, new to his life by the spirit. Hmm. But do we really short circuit people by not challenging them that when Jesus called people unto himself, he called them to join him on his mission Hmm. rather than to join the church. And I think it's been my observation over the last 30 odd years that we want people to join the church rather than to become disciple makers. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And, And that comes back to what is our role? Yeah. Our role is to make disciples. Jesus builds the church. And and as you know, as you know, Casey Underground and others say, if you make disciples, the church emerges. If yeah. you plant a church, you might never make disciples. Yeah. That's right. Well, you I know. think it was uh Mike Bream who said, 
if you try to build a church, you may end up with some disciples, but if mm. you if you build disciples, you'll always end up with the church. Now, it's my understanding and experience that sometimes when you're trying to make disciples or make disciples, um, the organized church sometimes isn't as involved in the process as some think it should be. Like sometimes you have to make a relationship with someone outside of the church mm. before you, you try to get them to come to church and hopefully uh, the Sunday experience won't uh, turn them off. I, I think we're that that's trying to do the attendancing. Oh, we, we need to get them to attend rather than understanding the, the deeper call of Jesus to follow and then to follow on mission and then to multiply by bearing fruit. Oh, yeah. I, I can just share, you know, Tim, on the personal level, the change that's happened in my, my heart and mind and emotions around numbers as, yeah. we, as we've gone into this new venture is dramatic. I can remember the emotional up and downs based on Sunday attendance, yeah. you know, and if it's, attendance was high, you felt good. And if attendance was low, yeah. you felt bad. And it just, it, it affected you directly. Whereas our meetings, like we are, our car core group is pretty small and we have had some meetings where it might just be one other couple with Kristen and I. Mm -hmm. And in my past mindset, that would have been so discouraging, but because the goal is to make disciples, we now have some unrushed time with another couple where we can talk and pray and unpack some things and it's incredibly high leverage and yeah. because because the goal is you know is to make disciples and last week one of our fellows he didn't come to the group because he had a hockey practice with this team he played with and guess what that was the right thing for him to do yeah for sure it is yeah. because that's the, the you know he's on mission out there you know if he wasn't an on mission fellow then it's you know it's a coin toss whether it's better for him to be there or not but because he's on mission it's a great opportunity and so it changes the way we view programs. I think, you I know, think so. when when we when we when we're focused on making disciples. In fact, there's been times, Tim, this year, where it's just been Kristen and I, yep. because of, there's been some family crises and people are on holidays, traveling more this year. Well, what do we do? We prayer walk our neighborhood, yep. or we spend some time praying for our entire group, which which is part of what we do in making disciples. And so, it's it's like almost anything is redeemable. Uh, is is useful in making disciples if you don't get hung up on the attendance issue. <laughs> that's right, and and unfortunately, that's often how we're judged. Mm -hmm. Especially, you know, if, if funding is coming towards us, well, that's only half as big as it was three years ago. It must not be as effective, and, and that may be true. But but the metrics of disciple making uh, really have never been modeled or really risen to the top in a denominational priority. Uh, vantage point from my experience as a denominational leader for years and years and years. And we just help people meet budget, try to fill their building. And uh, that continues to this day, the status quo, hmm. unfortunately, of, of most church experiences, which, which is sad because uh, I, I meet with uh, uh, my disciple, mentee, whatever you want to call him, Steve, every week. And it's just neat as he sees the little light switches going on to realize that it isn't just about him. Now it's about others. Hmm. And now, uh, you know, when we meet every week uh, and pray about this, uh, it's now it's about how do we learn how to say certain things that will lead or clear pathways for Jesus, uh, people to consider Jesus or things like that and, and not uh, being as, you know, uh, as we're preaching at people, 
but it's more modeling a lifestyle in which people see Jesus and then they see that the world needs Jesus and they, mm. and they want to find others as well. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, that's so good, Tim. You know, there's an old book. I think the title was The Greatest Management Principle or Greatest Leadership Principle. And it's the principle was what gets, me- what gets measured gets done. Exactly. And, and so, you know, when it comes to if you're in a legacy church right now, uh, simply by starting to measure some disciple-making metrics, like how many people are intentionally in a disciple-making relationship, That's that right. will then raise the temperature on that and more of that will get done. I think that might be a good a good landing point or take-home point. Any any other thoughts on that, too? Yeah, well, I, I think with the um, discipling relationships, and sometimes we just call them mentoring relationships, mm-hmm. uh, but I wonder if the mentors really understand that the ultimate um, mentor relationship is leading someone to multiply in the life of someone else. Right. And uh, so I think that that might be a specific area to start, and especially for pastors and leaders. Don't go after the whole flock. Go after yeah. the one or two who are hungry and hmm. thirsty, and the Spirit will lead them to you or lead you to them. And that's what I find in my life. Just go after the one or two, and you're not looking for addition. You're looking for eventual multiplication. So, Amen. Let's well, land there. Yeah. That that's an excellent word, Tim. I you know, but wheels are turning as I think. You know, we we talk about praying and paying attention on the evangelistic level, looking for people to connect with. It's the same on the making disciples level. Who are the believers to connect with that we're to pour our heart into for a season in in terms of multiplying a disciple? So yeah, that's that's an excellent place to land. And yeah. those are a couple of contrasts there. We're gonna we're gonna carry on next time here with disciple making. I'm Darren Rye with Tim Beadle. We just want to encourage you to measure what matters and uh, be engaged in a disciple-making relationship. Amen. Thanks for joining us. For more information, go to imakedisciples.com or christfollowerdna.com. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts.